from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each week, we'll explore the Jewish roots of your Christian faith and nourish those roots with inspirational insights and ancient teachings that are so relevant to our lives today. Let's get started. Billy Graham, the renowned Christian preacher, once said that the greatest legacy one can pass on to one's children and grandchildren is not money or other material things accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. Whether we have children or not, we all want to leave our mark on the world. And on today's podcast, we're going to talk about how we can create a meaningful and lasting legacy for the next generation. We'll look at the last moments of Jacob's life as described in the Bible in the book of Genesis. I have some fascinating Jewish teachings to share with you about Jacob's death that will change the way that you see life. Every day is a chance to create a legacy of faith that will impact generations to come. On today's episode, I'm going to show you how. Every week, Jews around the world read and study the same Torah portion known as the Parsha. This week's Parsha covers the final chapters of the book of Genesis, chapters 47-28 through 50-26. The name of this week's Parsha is Vayechi, which means he lived. It starts off by telling us that Jacob lived in Egypt for 17 years, but the rest of the reading is mostly actually about Jacob's death and then Joseph's death, which followed. The Bible tells us how Jacob prepared for his death by blessing his children and grandchildren and by instructing them to bury him in the promised land. The verse that I want to hone in on today is the verse that describes the moment that Jacob died. It is Genesis 49:33, and I'll read it to you now. When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and was gathered to his people. This verse tells us that right after Jacob blessed his sons and told them where he wished to be buried, he passed away. There's a very mysterious statement in the Talmud, the 2,000-year-old book of Jewish teachings, about this moment in time. The Talmud states, Our father, Jacob, never died. The verse that tells us about Jacob's passing says that he drew up his feet and then he was gathered to his people. But the word death, which is usually used in the Bible to describe someone's passing, doesn't appear in the verse at all. On the other hand, the verse is very clear that Jacob drew his last breath, and no one, not even Jacob, can live without breathing. So which is it? Did Jacob die or not die? The rabbis explain that even in death, the righteous are considered living. They continue to live on through the good deeds that they did and the people that they positively affected during their lifetime, especially their children. Jacob, more than any other biblical figure, is associated with his children. Jacob's other name was Israel. And until this day, we are called the children of Israel or the nation of Israel. Jacob lives on through his children that still carry his name and continue his legacy. The rabbis taught that it is no coincidence that the name of this parsha is Vayechi, which means 
he lived, and that the first two words of the reading are, Jacob lived. Because even though these chapters describe Jacob's death, the deeper truth is that even after Jacob died, he continued to live. And the same can be true for all of us. Even when we leave this world, we can continue to be a part of it through the things that we do and the lives that we touch while we are here. As people of faith, we know that there is life after life and that the soul goes on even after the body has taken its last breath. But the rabbis taught that the life of a righteous person continues on in heaven and on earth. This teaching was a great source of comfort to me when I lost my Abba, my dear father, Rabbi Chiel Eckstein, to a sudden heart attack almost three years ago. When he died, I lost more than a loving, amazing parent. My father was the founder of the fellowship, and until his death, he was my mentor, my inspiration, and my guide. When he passed away, I wasn't sure how I would go on without him. But over time, I realized that I hadn't really lost my father. I leaned into this teaching that the righteous live on even after they die. And in some ways, I felt his presence more than ever. I can still hear his wise words when I need guidance and feel his love when I need his comfort. He is still very much a part of my life. I see my father in the smile of the elderly when I bring them a meal, in the eyes of the needy when I hand them a food box, and in the joy of new immigrants to Israel when I meet them on the tarmac. I see him in the faces of my own children as they carry on our family values and traditions, and sometimes I see him in myself when I do the things that he did and love my children like he loved me. Do you remember how the Bible described Jacob's death? The verse specified three things, that Jacob drew up his feet, took his last breath, and was gathered to his people. I always wondered why the Bible includes that information, that Jacob drew up his feet. Why do we need to know that? But when I was mourning my father, I came across a beautiful Jewish teaching that when we do a good deed in memory of someone who passed away or in the merit of something that they taught us, we actually become their feet on earth. When a person dies like Jacob, they draw up their feet. They no longer have feet on earth. But we, still here on this earth, can serve as their boots on the ground and they can live on through us. Through these teachings, I realize that my father is very much alive. He lives on in his children, grandchildren, and the amazing legacy that he left behind. But the idea that the righteous can live on through their legacy isn't just a comforting idea for times of mourning. It's also really good advice for living. We need to ask ourselves what legacy we want to leave behind and how we will build that legacy, a legacy that we are proud of. Because once we know how we want to be remembered and how we want to impact future generations, we will know how to live. We become clear about what we need to do in order to leave our unique mark on the world. The rabbis taught that our legacy is made up of two things. The first is our righteous deeds and character, and the second is our children, or in a broader sense, our impact on the next generation. 
One of the first things that I did after my father passed away was write a book about the legacy of faith that I received from my parents and that I'm passing on to my children. It's called Generation to Generation, Passing on the Legacy of Faith to Our Children. And if you haven't read it yet, I hope that you will. I'll put a link to it into the show notes. It's all about how to pass on our faith to future generations so that they can be our and our ancestors' feet and boots on the ground. I wrote this book because while I was mourning my father, I noticed I kept turning to the lessons and values that he and my mother instilled in me from the time that I was young. Of all the things that my father left us, his legacy of faith was the greatest of all. When I needed guidance, it was there. When I needed encouragement, I found it. And when I needed faith, I discovered a treasure trove of inspiration in the way my parents brought me up and in the way my parents and grandparents lived. I came to appreciate the connection between all that I am today and everything my parents taught me, and it made me think about the legacy that I am creating for my own children and future generations. We're all just links in a chain. I also wrote this book because over the years, so many of my Christian friends have asked me how we do it, how the Jewish people have succeeded at passing down our faith for thousands of years in spite of the challenges of persecution and assimilation. The book is my answer to that question, along with my practical tools that I've developed and examples of how I'm passing my faith on to my children. So what's the answer? How have the Jewish people managed to pass on our faith for over 4,000 years? The short answer is by focusing on children and their education. Our children are our future, and investing in them has always been a top priority. And for the longer answer, you can read my book. I love this quote from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, the former chief rabbi of Great Britain, who passed away just last year. He said, For 4,000 years, our people survived because in every generation, Jews made it their highest priority to hand their faith on to their children. They sanctified marriage. They consecrated the Jewish home. They built schools and houses of study. They saw education as the conversation between generations. Wow, that is so striking, beautiful. And every time I read it, I discover more. The idea that children are meant to be seen and not heard is not a Jewish idea at all. We want to hear our children. Judaism encourages this conversation between the generations. We want our children to ask questions and to learn from those who came before them. And while good schools have always been important in Jewish culture, the primary place of education has always been in the home. My book is all about how we pass on faith through the Jewish holidays and rituals that are experienced mainly in our homes. Parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles and family friends are the primary teachers of the next generation, whether we realize it or not. We have the great privilege and the responsibility 
of passing on our faith. This value comes into play during the holiday of Passover more than any other holiday. And it's not surprising because during the first Passover, on the eve of the exodus from Egypt, Moses commanded the Israelites no less than three times to teach their children and share the story of God's miracles and redemption with them. As the children of Israel transformed into God's chosen people, Moses had one clear message to make sure that we pass on our faith to our children. Today, the main focus of Passover is the ritual meal called the Seder. The Seder is an interactive, multi-sensory experience where we tell the Passover story and talk about the roots of our faith. And the main focus of this Passover Seder is the children. We do all kinds of things in order to keep their attention and to get them to participate. I'll never forget how excited my father would get when me or one of my sisters would ask a question at our Passover Seders. One of my most vivid childhood memories is of my father eating an entire tablespoon of horseradish at our Passover Seder. It was so strong that his face turned bright red and his eyes filled with tears. I was so confused because it looked like my father was crying at our happy holiday meal. So I asked him, I said, Abba, why are you crying? And I'll never forget that twinkle in my father's eye as he gave me a big smile. And then he said, I'm crying so that you will ask me why I'm crying. One of my older sisters explained to me that we eat bitter herbs like horseradish on Passover to remind us of the bitter tears that the Israelites shed during slavery. My father was just as happy about my sister knowing the answer to my question as he was about me asking the question in the first place. Because by asking a question, it meant that he had succeeded in drawing me into that conversation between the generations. Now that I'm a parent, I completely understand why my father got so much pleasure whenever we expressed interest in our Jewish faith or showed him that we understood what he was trying to teach us. And when I grew up, I came across a letter that my grandfather wrote to my father about his joy at passing on his faith to him. I want to share part of that letter with you, and this is what my grandfather wrote to my father. You were reared in a rabbi's home where, thank God, you were able to absorb Jewish traditional values about all aspects of life. In our frequent discussions, we always gave priority to the need to perform deeds of chesed, acts of charity, kindness, and thoughtfulness. Fondly, we remember how we sat around the dinner table on Shabbat and sang our favorite songs, songs that your mother and I learned from our parents. Even as children, your brother and sisters would help us as we distributed food to the needy during the high holy days and Passover. My grandfather ended his note with these words. As people grow older, especially at the grandparents' stage, they feel blessed by God when they see that the heritage and their traditional values, which they received from their own parents and grandparents, are now being passed on to the next generation. 
There is nothing quite like knowing that we have passed on a legacy of faith to the next generation, my friends, and it happens primarily in our homes, the place where we celebrate our faith and demonstrate our faith. Right now, we are in the middle of the holiday season. It's a joyful time of year and it's a lot of fun, but it's also a serious time, an opportunity to focus on building our legacy. As we sit around the holiday table and take part in family traditions, whether we do that virtually or physically this year, we need to remember that these are the moments that matter most. Not just because we get to spend time with our loved ones, but also because it's an opportunity to have that conversation between the generations. It's an amazing opportunity to pass on our faith. And one more thing, even if you don't have children or grandchildren of your own, according to Jewish tradition, anyone who teaches faith to another person, it is as though he or she is that person's parent. Everyone can have children in the spiritual sense if we pass on our faith to others. There are so many ways to build a legacy of faith. We can share our life story and testimony. We can mentor the younger generation and offer faith-filled advice. We can also teach through our own example. We can live our lives in a way that inspires others, that encourages others to trust in God, to be kind and generous, to be obedient, and to live godly lives. Passing on our faith to the next generation is one way to build a lasting legacy, and it's something that we should all try to do. But there is also another way. The rabbis taught that the other way that the righteous live on after death is through the good deeds that they did while they were alive. I want to tell you about two inspiring Jewish women that did just that. The first woman is Anne Schreiber. Before 1995, no one had ever heard of Anne. She only became known when she died at the age of 101. Anne led a quiet life in New York City. She never had children, and she had just a few friends. She spent her retirement years investing her money, and by the time she died, Anne had over $22 million. In her will, she left all of her money to the women's division of Yeshiva University, one of the only universities in America that teaches Jewish studies on a college level. At Anne's funeral, the president of Yeshiva University eulogized her. He said, According to Judaism, anyone who teaches another person's child Torah, it is as if he gave birth to that child. Here's a woman who for 101 years was childless and now becomes a mother to a whole community, not only now, but for generations to come. Through her charitable giving, Anne made it possible for hundreds of thousands of women to learn about their faith and build their careers. Everything those women accomplish in life, it is in Anne's merit, and that's how she lives on. We don't need to give charity on that level that Anne did in order to leave a meaningful legacy. Whether we help one person or one million, we can live on in the people we help and the difference that we make in someone's life. 
Here at the fellowship, we are blessed to receive legacy donations. It's an honor for us to do our life-saving work on behalf of our donors and serve as their feet on earth once they have moved to heaven. The second woman that I want to tell you about is Clara Hammer, but she was better known as the Chicken Lady of Jerusalem, and you'll understand why in just a moment. It all began when Clara was in her 70s. She was a retired Hebrew teacher and a widow. And one day when she went to her local butcher in Jerusalem to buy chicken for the Sabbath, she noticed that the butcher was giving a little girl a bag of chicken fat and skin. She was curious and said to the butcher, how many cats or dogs does that family have? He explained that the family had a lot of children and that sadly the father was on dialysis. The family had racked up a huge bill, so all he gave them now was a bag of scraps to make soup and stew for the Sabbath. Immediately, Clara said, you give that family two chickens every week and half a kilo of turkey, and I'll pay for it. And she did. It wasn't long before the butcher, rabbis, social workers, and friends started telling Clara about other families in need. At first, Clara paid for more and more chickens, but then the other people started to give her money so they could help too. The fund grew and grew. People heard about Clara and sent in donations from all over the world. By the time she passed away at age 100, Clara was feeding 250 needy families in Jerusalem. And to this day, her daughter and great-granddaughter run the fund and continue her legacy. Again, we don't need to create something on the scale that Clara did. Even if she had fed just that one family, she would have left a beautiful living legacy behind. And in the same way, when we do acts of kindness for others, we build our own legacy. Is one person happier because of the kind words you said? Is there someone who has a good sense of self-worth because of a compliment that you gave them? Or maybe you helped someone during a difficult time in their life, and because of you, their burden was a little bit lighter. Everyone has unique gifts to contribute to the world, and each one of us can leave this earth a bit better off because we were in it. Your legacy is your gift to the next generation. And when you know what you want your legacy to be, you can go about building it. In Psalms 90, 17, we read, May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us, establish the work of our hands for us, and yes, establish the work of our hands. Our time on earth is for creating and doing things with our hands. But this verse is a prayer that our life's work is established as a lasting legacy. This week, take some time to consider what you want your legacy to be and how you can build it. Maybe you can dedicate more time to educating the next generation, to teach your children or grandchildren or any children in your community. Maybe it's time for you to write down or record your life story and the lessons and faith that you learn so that others can be inspired by you for generations to come. Or maybe you want to focus on acts of kindness and giving charity so that your life will have a lasting impact on other people. However we choose to build our legacies, I pray that we all live long, happy, and meaningful lives. Shavua Tov, my friends. Have a wonderful week from here in the Holy Land. Mm-hmm.
Thank you for listening to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. If you like what you have heard, visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. You can also follow me on Instagram at yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next week.